0: Today we get to do something pretty unique, and not entirely unique because we did it last weekend, but still pretty unique for a weekend service. Normally we have uh, someone on this stage sharing the the Word of God and what God has been teaching our hearts as as speakers and as pastors. But today what we're doing is we're taking your questions. On Easter weekend, what we did was we encouraged anyone that was willing to to fill out a little survey that asked two questions— The first question was, what are you struggling with? And the second question was, if you could ask God one question, what would that question be? What we've done is we've compiled all the results, and last weekend, Pastor Barry and Pastor Kristen and Ken Nelson did a fantastic job of answering some of those, and we're going to go back to the well and ask more questions, and this time to a new panel. So could you welcome our panel with a round of applause? We're going to have them introduce themselves to you, so we're going to start by asking them their name, what they do here at New Life, and because this is just a fun fact, they've all just returned from Honduras. They were on a mission trip, and so to learn a little bit about that, why don't we ask them who was their favorite person that they met in Honduras? I don't know if you have a favorite person you met, but okay, yeah, some not, yeah good. All right, good question. Uh, so name and uh, what you do here and favorite person that you met in Honduras.
1: I'm Pastor Chris, lead pastor here at New Life, and um, my favorite person without a doubt is Pastor Arturo. He's 65. I'll be 65 in two weeks. He just passed the baton of leadership to two pastors in his church that he started 30 years ago. I'll be doing that in a couple of years. So we really hit it off, and more importantly than any of that, uh, his testimony is incredible. God has really done an amazing works, plural, in his life. And so I can identify with that as well. It just was a, it was a really, really good time.
0: Thank you very much.
2: I'm Erin Mayalki, and I'm the REACH director here. And I would have said Pastor Arturo because that was a pretty special time. But my other favorite person was Alan Sowers, who um, we went to meet him and his organization of what he's doing. And Alan is a very impressive man that he is all in. And he and his family have dedicated their lives to living the mission of Jesus Christ and sharing Jesus with the people of Honduras. And it was just such an honor to watch him and his family really live out their faith and bring us alongside with them. And he kind of reminded me a little bit of Yukon Cornelius, if any of you remember him from um, the Rudolph movies. Very similar in appearance and temperament. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> that's good. That's a good picture to put our heads. Erin,
0: could you help us, um, just in case anyone's wondering, what does a REACH director do? Could you share a little bit about that?
2: Yeah. Um, all of the graphics you see around here. So you know, whenever we have a message series and a picture that's behind you, I design that. Um, The posters that are in the bathrooms in the hallway, I make those, things you see on social media. Um, The video with the children, I made that. So basically a lot of the visual things that you're seeing and the online community with our online service. Um, In addition to reaching all of you, I really want us to reach the people that don't come within these walls. I wanna reach out, not only into our community, but now out into the world.
3: Amen, thank you very much, all right. And I'm Matt Bartlett, I am our Director of Student Ministries here, and my favorite person uh, was a guy named Quito, uh, that's not actually his real name, that's his nickname, they're big on nicknames um, in Honduras, I don't know actually what his real Juan name is. Juan Carlos. Juan Carlos. Um, I spent a lot of time in the back of a pickup truck with him, <laughs> and, uh, and oh. we, got, we, yeah, well, we got to talk a lot, and he's, got, he's really ambitious. Um, and he likes to use his gifts to serve the Lord, which is pretty cool. So.
0: All right, keto. I love that. Chris, we're going to start with you. Why is there evil in the world, and how can a good God stand watching so much pain and suffering? I know this is a hard pivot from a nice iceberg question to something really serious right away, but i are just going to dive right in. So why is there evil in the world, and how can a good God stand watching so much? the different answer this morning than last
1: night because i uh... was praying and thinking about it more john chapter eight is the chapter that we all ought to read when we think about evil in the world uh... and a good god because in john chapter eight it starts off if you are familiar with the story of the woman caught in adultery the religious leaders bring to jesus a woman caught in adultery and they know the religious leaders know that she's supposed to be stoned to death according to mosaic law for her sin And they want to see if Jesus will do that, which then they'll say he's, you know, evil because he's wanting to kill this woman. And if he says no, then they trap him because he doesn't want to follow the law. And so what Jesus does, it's because he's Jesus, he just waits. And then eventually he says, okay, go ahead, kill her. But the one without sin, you cast the first stone. And then everybody leaves because, and actually it says from the oldest to the youngest, and I've always... You know, since I got older, I figured out why, because when you're old, you know you're a sinner, and you know you've done things. But when you're young, you're ambitious and zealous, and you think that maybe, you know, you could pick up the stone. But everybody leaves. And then Jesus looks at the woman and says, woman, didn't anybody condemn you? She said, no. And he said, neither do I condemn you, but go and sin no more. So what Jesus says is there's bad stuff in the world, and even religious people want to do bad stuff. But the thing is, I'm here. And because I'm here, things can be different. And he starts with one woman caught in adultery and he makes her life different. But then it goes on and the rest of the chapter is powerful because he talks about the devil and he says the devil is a murderer first thing and then he says the devil is a liar. And he tells the religious leaders the reason they have problems is because they listen to the liar instead of the truth. And he says that the truth will set you free. So the reason there's evil in this world is because there is a devil and if you believe Jesus He's the most powerful being on earth next to God. And he's out there in John 10.10, Jesus says, he's there to kill, to steal, and to destroy. And he's good at what he does. But then Jesus says, but I came to give you life in all of its abundance. And the word he uses for life there is the word for life of God, not just physical life. So the point of all this is the devil every single day is whispering into our ear, You cannot trust God. He is not good. He started with Adam and Eve. He he basically said to them, you can't trust God because what God told you isn't true. And so the the thing that the devil is doing to all of us is to ask us this question. Why is there evil in the world? It's God's fault. (laughs) No, It's not God's fault. It's the devil's fault and it's our fault. Because we believe lies. And when we believe lies, what happens is people get hurt. Because the lies lead to death. But Jesus said, when you know the truth, the truth will set you free. So in our lives, the easiest thing for us to do and the thing the devil wants us to do, and please let me clarify one thing. The devil is not whispering in any of our ears. Because we're too small a fish for him to fry. But there are demonic forces that do whisper in our ears. The devil is only one place and one time. God's here. God's in every church in the world. God's actually everywhere in the world. The devil's not. The devil's in one place right now. I doubt if it's right here, because I don't think this is important enough for him. When somebody says to me, you know, the devil told me, or the devil made me, I go, really? (laughs) I really didn't know you were that important. But demonic forces, potentially, yes. So, the reason there's suffering in the world is because the devil is good at what he does, and because we participate in it. And the way to end that, two ways... One is by doing what God calls us to do and let the truth set us free and then participate in the truth and wait for Jesus to come back because then the devil will, the devil will get what the devil deserves. And so will everyone who hasn't participated in the life of God, that Zoe life in Jesus. So it's, it's not really as complicated as, as it seems. It's just that we really don't want to hear the truth.
0: Yeah. Amen. Whenever you were talking about the devil and where he's at, I just kept waiting for the joke to come about him being in Georgia. But it didn't come. And that's okay. That's fine. He might not have went down there. I don't know. Uh, I, I love that passage from Jesus where he tells the woman in adultery to go and sin no more because I think it's so easy and, and so comforting to say Jesus loves us as we are. And he does. But that's a reminder that he doesn't want to leave us there. He wants us to continue being formed into likeness of his son. Aaron, let's continue with you. How do I not let the continuous discouraging news get me down, even though I know God is still in control? So piggybacking kind of off of what what Pastor Chris just talked about, the evil in the world, how do I not let the evil in the world that we see on the news get us discouraged?
2: Well, I'm going to give all of you the same advice that I gave to everyone last night, to turn off your TV, shut your phone, and open your Bible, because... I mean, every day the headlines. It's hard not to be discouraged. It's hard not to worry about things. Um, I think there's a reason why um, some people call it fear porn, I believe. And, you know, we've already talked about what pornography can do to people. So think about fear porn and just what that does to your brain and the reaction to it. And you can see people that are constantly glued to the news. They're angry. They're fearful. I mean, it's a whole assortment of just really bad stuff. And... You know as pastor chris mentioned the devil is very powerful in this world but we know the one who is more powerful than him god and he is in control none of the stuff that is happening in the world right now is a surprise to him he already knew that all of this is going to happen and when we're in our bibles when we're reading our bibles i particularly think of second timothy chapters three and four and i told them last night you know you're reading that and if you do have the news on I mean, it's, it's the same. We're seeing that. The, the love of people has grown grown cold. And, you know, people are lovers of selves. They're, they're, they're greedy. We're seeing, you know, just so many bad things. I don't, you know I don't need to tell you all of it. You already know. We're living in it. But the other thing is, we know where this is going. We know how all of this ends. And we know that in the end, God is the victor. He has the victory. And because we are his... We have the victory, and that is what you cling to. That is where you have the hope and the peace. And the the thing about peace, that's it. And Pastor Chris had mentioned to all of us prior to service that there's a difference between being happy and being joyful. Happy is based on your circumstances, and circumstances constantly change. But being joyful, that's not dependent upon your circumstances. And the joy that we get from Jesus is when this world is falling apart and when it's just crazy and chaotic like it is, when we rest in him, when we rest in his word, we have that peace. You know, uh, back from maybe 2008 to 2015, I was constantly glued to the news and paying attention to everything that happened. And it was stressful. But once I turned off the TV and got into God's word, I don't worry about that stuff. I'm not being naive. I don't have my head buried in the sand. I know that stuff is happening. I know that horrible things are happening. And, it, and I am trying to pay attention to things so that I know what's going on. But in all honesty, I'm, I'm not worried about it. I'm really not. Because I know that I belong to Jesus and that whether I'm here or in heaven, I'm okay either way. Because to live is Christ, to die is gain. And so no matter what comes my way, no matter what comes your way, if you belong to Jesus, you're going to be okay. That doesn't mean you might not go through some hard things because it looks like things might get hard. And we don't know how much of it we're gonna be here for, but we know where we're going. And you have to remember that you are not a citizen of earth. You are a citizen of heaven, and we are just passing through here. So anytime when the weight of the world, the weight of everything going on starts to cause you to feel discouraged or worried, open that Bible and just lean into Jesus and say, God, I'm listening, I'm yours, please give me peace. And just remember that he is in control. And another thing to remember to confirm that he is in control is the fact that what we are seeing, he has already told us what happened. And so if that's not proof that God is real, that Jesus is who he says he is, that daily we are seeing so many things from the Bible confirmed, then you know without a doubt that you can trust in what God says. And when he tells you to be still and know that he is God, you can do it.
0: Thanks, Aaron. Yeah. What you said at the very beginning about fear is so true. Fear is addicting. And so whenever we are turning on the TV and looking at the phone all the time, there's an addictive quality to that, to feeling that fear. And the only way to kick that addiction, like you said, is by going to God and giving it to him, and he'll give us the courage to fight that fear. Matt, we're going to continue on with this theme right here. The next question is, how do I be a follower of Jesus in a nation led by openly immoral leaders? I struggle with not seeing believers rise up for our beliefs in the arena of politics. So we're talking about the news, we're talking about negative things that are happening. How can we, as Christians, live in a society when we know that there are leaders that aren't making decisions for Jesus, but instead for themselves?
3: Yeah, I think this is an important question. No matter which side of the spectrum you fall on politically, uh, you can see it from both sides. There are just not good things going on. Um, So what do we do? We can turn to Romans chapter 13 uh, in verses 1 and 2 pretty clear on how we are to behave as Christians. It starts off by saying that we need to submit to governing authorities. And that word is really hard for us as Americans to hear. The word submit because we don't like submitting. We certainly don't like to submit to things and people who we don't like. But we're commanded to submit to the governing authorities. And then it goes on to tell us why. It tells us that... God has been given all authority because he holds all authority. He's the one that gives authority. And he has given authority to those positions, not put people in those positions of authority. He gives us the ability to, to, to vote people into office. He gives us that freedom. But he has given those positions authority. And so when we want to rebel, this is in uh, the second verse, it talks about rebelling. When we rebel against those authorities, because God has given the authority to the people holding those positions, we're rebelling against God. So as hard as it is, we need to submit to those governing authorities. Now it comes under the understanding that we hold two citizenships. We hold a citizenship in heaven and we hold a citizenship here in America. First comes our citizenship in heaven. That means our ultimate authority is God. If what our second citizenship here in America goes against what God has commanded us to do, then we can rebel. But we have to filter it through that, those two steps first. And we as, we as Christians, we're not called to rise up in politics. We're called to serve the Lord.
0: Yeah, in everything that we do, we serve the Lord. In whatever position, whatever job we're called, our first calling is to Jesus and to serve Him. It's very similar in a way to think of us as children. We have parents and we're called to honor our parents, our father and mother, and it, that even comes with a promise of, of, of having a, a long life. However, if our parents are telling us to do something that is contrary to God, to the Word of God, and that's when we go, we gotta go through that same filter. Okay, I gotta follow God first. And so, same thing in America. Yeah, Chris. Alex,
1: couple of quick things. Um, when Paul said to obey the governing authorities,
0: the governing authority was either the
1: Emperor <coughs> Nero or their Emperor Domitian, two of the most evil people who ever lived. And they, the Christians did follow Emperor Nero or Domitian until one thing happened, until they were asked to bow down to him instead of bowing down to God. Paul went to prison and ultimately was executed rather than rebel against that government. And so it was a very different situation. They didn't get to vote. (laughs) You didn't get to vote on any leader really until most really recently in the last couple hundred years. Um, But the point that I want to make is Paul was obedient and he told us to be obedient, but he died of treason. He died for treason because he wasn't willing to bow down to Caesar in our lives today, certainly we ought to be involved in politics. But when we make politics our religion or our faith, then we've stepped beyond what Paul
0: asks us to do. Absolutely. Thank you, Matt. Thank you, Pastor Chris. Pastor Chris, we're going to keep it with you. And when we're talking about the early church, we can identify somewhat with them because they are living in a society that doesn't believe in Jesus as Lord and Savior as like the the general consensus that the early disciples certainly lived in that environment. So Chris, how should I live when I'm surrounded by people I love dearly who either don't believe or doubt Christianity? It's exhausting and discouraging.
1: So that's a very personal question for me. I'm sure all of us know somebody that we care about who isn't following Jesus right now. In my case, my two biological daughters are not. Um, they're adults, and they've made their choice after serving. They grew up basically here at New Life. They served faithfully. I Emmy mean, on the worship team. And Abby actually was the very first person that directed the PowerPoint team. That tells you how long ago it was instead of whatever we have now. What is it called now?
0: Pro-Presenter. Pro-Presenter. Okay, it doesn't really
1: matter. But anyway, they're not following Jesus. So it's, and it's been for a long time. It hasn't been for a couple of days or a couple of weeks or a couple of months. It's been for years. And uh, we all have that situation, and friends that we know at work, friends we go to school with, who aren't following Jesus. So the, the first thing is, it is discouraging, but it's only exhausting when we think we have to change them. It's only exhausting when we think we have to change them. And believe me, I've been exhausted because I thought I could change my children. But I can't. They're adults. My older one told me, Daddy, you taught us to think, and that's what we're doing. Those are not easy words to hear from your child when it means they're not following Jesus. But what it does mean is um, I can argue and debate, but in my experience, I haven't argued and debated anybody out of hell. Um, I haven't also found it very helpful to argue and debate with those closest to us. But what I do is I love them. I love them absolutely. Not what they're doing, but who they are, because they're my children. And it could be my friend, it could be my relative, it could be my coworker. And Jesus told us, the hardest thing that I think Jesus ever said was this, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. So not only those close to us who aren't following Jesus, but those who are as far away from us as they can get who aren't following Jesus, we're supposed to love them and pray for them. We can't change them. It's really hard for me. I can't change me without the power of the Holy Spirit in my life. So the thing that I would say is, if you're exhausted, then you're holding too much control or the illusion of control in your life. If you're discouraged, I get that. Because our timing isn't God's timing. And I want things to happen now. I learned a new phrase in Honduras. I almost said... Cuba, but in Honduras, it's no tenemos, no tenemos mucha prisa. We are not in a hurry. The thing is, God's not in a hurry and we are. And so when I pray to God every day, God today is, is today the day. When my children come back and we get to follow with them, we get to do the same thing we used to do, is today the day. Yeah, I want it to be the day, but I'll love them, you change them. That takes away the exhaustion.
0: It's sometimes so frustrating because, like Pastor Chris said, we have our, in our minds, especially in our society, we're now, now, now. In the book of Deuteronomy, it talks about God's people and how they were going through the desert for 40 years. And at the end of it, God basically says, I was doing that so you would rely on me. I was taking 40 years to teach you this one lesson. And for us, it goes, 40 years to take, teach one lesson. But sometimes it takes us 40 years to learn one lesson. And so God knows what he's doing. He has a plan in place, and so we trust in that, and we trust in his timing, even though it might not line up with ours, because he's the good God with all the answers, and we're not. Aaron, we're going to continue with you. I'm getting a divorce. How do I heal and continue on with my life?
2: As someone who's been divorced, I can tell you that it's going to be hard, and it could be hard for a while, because... Divorce is a sin. Regardless of the circumstances surrounding the divorce, divorce is a sin. God has an intended plan, and it's that marriage is between a man and a woman forever. It's a covenant between them and God. I mean, through marriage, that's how we get to experience God's love and, and, and show an example of God's love, you know, the unconditional love. that even if you don't like someone, you still love them, you know, that none of us are really lovable or sometimes even likable. But we love them anyways. And so <sighs> divorce hurts. It hurts God, and it hurts the people that it happens to. And that's the thing about sin. Sin has consequences. And... Not only do those consequences affect the two people that are getting divorced, but it can affect the kids, it can affect the rest of the family, it can affect the friends, and it it can have a generational impact. And so that's a lot to process. That's a lot to deal with, that's a lot to go through. But God still loves you. You are not defined by your divorce. And God knew before you that that divorce is going to happen. And God will redeem those things in your life. And one of the things is when you're in a marriage, you after a time, you identify yourself by that marriage. You know, that it's, the, it's you and that person. You go from a me to a we. And everything you say, everything you do, your plans for the future are wrapped up in this identity that you have created. And then when you get divorced all of that is just taken away, and everything that you thought you were, everything that you thought your life was going to be, that's no longer the case. But there's a problem with that because we can't place our identities in other people or things that are attached to this world because, I mean, as we see, they can be taken away from us. We find our identity in Jesus, in who we are in Him, and so, part of the process of healing is since you are no longer part of that previous identity, you are going to see who you are in Jesus. This difficult time in your life, those holes that you're feeling, God is going to fill those. But you, ha- you have to lean into him because for a while you're gonna just feel like you're adrift at sea, and he is going to be the thing that is going to keep you lifted up And the other thing about it is, you know, trying to figure out how to move on with your life. God has a plan for your life, you know, and it doesn't matter whether it's divorce or any other kind of sin because, you know, we all do things. We all have sin in our life and things happen and sometimes they might seem like big things and when it happens, you think, well, that's it. You know, I've screwed up this time. God's not going to be able to use me or this is just, this is no good. But God will always do what he plans to do despite us. You are not powerful enough. Your mistakes are not bad enough or strong enough to derail God and his plans. And so trust in that, that he still has a plan for you and there are still better days ahead for you. It might not look like it right now, but you know, look, look at me as an example because I know when I was going through, when I kept looking at people, that they made it through to the other side and you're going to make it through to the other side, because of God. He will put people in your life that are gonna come alongside you and get you through, but it is God that is going to heal you and is going to continue with his plan for your life. So you are more than what has happened to you, and do not wear, I consider it a scarlet letter, as a Christian, because it's, it's a hard thing as a Christian to say that you're divorced. Um, and I remember thinking that God couldn't use me, that I, was, that I was damaged goods. And God had other plans. He knew better than I did. So don't put that letter on yourself because God doesn't. Okay?
0: Thank you so much, Aaron. Thank you for your candor, your honesty for sharing. I, I think the best answer I, I could have hoped for for a question like that, to both share the honesty, the truth about the sin, but the love of Jesus. That was amazing. Thank you. Matt. Why do innocent children have to suffer, whether it's illness or abuse or anything else? I know that this is not a comfortable, easy uh, question, but why do innocent children have to suffer?
3: I don't know why innocent children... um, Well, I don't know why innocent children have to suffer. Um, Beyond, there's evil in the world. Um, Children who are are subject to abuse um, and any... uh, any other physical suffering that's brought on by another human being is because we're in a sinful world. And there's a lot of evil out there. Um, in John chapter 9, or John, yeah, John chapter 9, um, we are talk, we're, we're told a little bit about children who are born into some suffering. Um, it reads, As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth, And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day, night is coming, when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. So what Jesus is telling us is that the the man was born blind. This could be children who who are born with disability, children who are born into suffering. That that's, that all of that is so that God's glory could be seen through it. And there's a specific part in here where it says, We must work with we must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. That means that we get to be involved. That means that we get to step alongside. The, the families of those children, we get to step alongside those children. In Galatians chapter 6, it talks about us sharing each other's burdens. That's what we're called to do in those situations. And, and we could see that God's glory is brought about in those situations. So whether it's suffering that's brought on by another human being against a child, or it's a child that's born into suffering, We can see god's glory we can help god's glory be seen and brought about in those situations but we have to get involved
0: wow that was fantastic thanks Matt. pastor chris we're going to do one more question for for our panel pastor chris how do i understand the gender identity crisis how do i teach my daughter when i do not understand myself what does the bible say about sexuality and gender so i
1: read a blog by a pastor in pittsburgh this past week who said there is that, that biblical sexuality is a myth. In other words, there is nothing the Bible really says definitively about sexuality. And the interesting thing about that, as soon as I read it, I thought, huh, that's a very interesting perspective. What she meant was that there are lots of things said about sexuality in the Bible. And everything from Genesis 3 to Revelation chapter 20 is about the distortion of sexuality pretty much you you read about women being raped you read about men with multiple husbands you read about adultery you read about all of these kind of things and those things are not biblical sexuality those things are the result of not living out biblical sexuality biblical sexuality is defined in genesis 1 and 2. biblical sexuality is defined as God creating human beings in His own image. And he, in, in some way, for us to reflect the image of God, He needed to create us as male and female. There are two genders. And, and the thing is, there really is no confusion about that. I know that on Facebook, there are dozens and dozens of genders that have been identified. And people are confused. People always get confused when they don't believe the truth. Remember when we did the Winning of the War in Your Mind series and Craig Groeschel said, a lie believed as truth will impact your life as if it were true? Well, that's still true. A lie believed as truth will affect your life as if it were true. So if you're believing a lie right now, it's impacting you as if it were true. And there are a lot of lies about sexuality in our world. And what we need to do as Christians is not condemn people for living in confusion. But we need to love people and tell them the truth. The truth is, in Genesis 1 and 2, as Aaron said, marriage is designed, it's designed to be between a man and a woman who come together, and, and God said, and they become one. So that's why the I becomes we, because Nancy and I are one. In a biblical sense, we are, we are a unit. And when divorce happens, something's torn apart that was never intended to be torn apart. And and regardless of why that happened, there is something that was designed by God that's no longer there. And so premarital sex, adultery, all of those things are all wrong. And some people think they're not, you know, it doesn't matter what you think or believe. It really matters what's true. Because only the truth can set us free. And when we live outside of the truth, we will always... We might be prideful, we might be confused, we might be discouraged, we might be suicidal. The truth doesn't lead us to be suicidal. The truth doesn't lead us to be discouraged. The truth leads us to life. Because Jesus said the truth sets us free. So in our culture, you know, the question was, when I don't understand it, you, don't, you shouldn't understand it. Nobody should understand That there are whatever it is, 30 plus genders, because there aren't. Gender's not fluid, and and we we make conversation about like today I'm identifying as a female, and 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 people believe that. So so don't laugh at them. Don't don't say no, you don't, because they do. It's a lie, but they do, and a lie believed as truth impacts that life as if it were true. So we need to show compassion first. We need, to, we need to show the same love to others that we've experienced in Jesus Christ. And one of the real quick interesting thing in Honduras, because somebody asked the young teenagers um, who just finishing high school, you know, what about all the LGBTQ, there's all other letters added on now, but what about that here? And they went, what? Honest to God. They went, what? You know, homosexual. Oh, no, no. We don't, we don't hear about that here. It doesn't... They said, a couple people, but it's not, you know, it's not endorsed by the culture. It's not taught in school. And so, so Alan Sowers said, the only place you'll really get that is in San Pedro Sula. They actually had a gay pride parade two years in a row now. And it was supported and endorsed by gringos, Americans, um, North Americans who live in the United States of America. Gringo is a negative term in Mexico, but not so much in Honduras are just trying to say we're all Americans, but the gringos are the ones that bring these ideas. So please understand, I don't endorse totally turning off your television and your phone and stuff and never knowing what's going on, but I, I do agree 100% with what Aaron said earlier. Um, if you want to experience lies, all you have to do is turn on any of those devices. But good news is it also has the Bible in there. You notice he pulled out his phone to read his Bible. So you can use any media out there for good as well as for, for, for harm. So please don't go away confused. If you are, please talk to one of us. You know, I, I have a daughter who's confused. She doesn't think she is. I love her. And I'll keep loving her until Jesus comes back or I go see Jesus. Or the end of her life. Because that's what followers of Jesus do to help people who are hurting, lost, confused, whatever term you want to use, um, in their lives. Because we were there once too. A
0: couple of powerful things from Scripture. God says at the very beginning, Genesis 1 and 2, that a man and a woman should leave their parents and be joined to one. And it's incredible to think about. He said that before there were parents, before um, that that really was going to happen because God had created Adam and Eve. So he set that up from the beginning. He said, this is how it should be. And I've heard people make the claim that, well, Jesus didn't talk anything about it. He did. He quoted that exact same verse about a man and woman should leave their parents and be joined into one in marriage. He talked about it, and then Paul talked about it a couple different times in his letters. So, it was stated, it was affirmed, and it was reaffirmed later on, and so we can look into God's Word and see that. Pastor Chris, can you give me the, the Scripture references for those? Mark 10, and actually, Jesus adds something. He says,
1: what God has joined, let no one yeah. separate. And then, Ephesians chapter 5, uh, 22 to 35-ish.
0: There you go. Thank you very much. Thanks for that, and thanks for a great answer. Aaron? Are we being left with no hope for improvement in life short of God returning? We've talked about a couple negative things that could leave us discouraged, and that isn't the point of today. We are not to leave here discouraged because we know who our God is. But the question remains, are we being left with no hope for improvement in life short of God returning?
2: Well, I mean, that is our hope, is the return of Jesus. I mean, he's called our our blessed hope, the blessed assurance, but it doesn't just stop with that once you become saved that doesn't mean that you just sit and wait for Jesus to come back or to go home if we all do that then nothing's ever going to improve and we can't i mean we're seeing it we can't just count on our government to do the right thing for the media to do the right thing for other people to do the right thing in order for there to be <coughs> excuse me in order for there to be hope for improvement that starts with each of us And it's because of our hope in Jesus. It's because of Jesus in us. And each of us constantly trying to be more like Jesus and and the transformation within each of us, that is what allows us to affect the people around us and to change the world around us. And if each of us would do that, then we would start to affect the people around us. And then if they did that, they would affect the people around them and around them. And, you know, there's, there's so many ways that we can do that. I mean, we just came back from Honduras, and, you know, we went hoping to give something to the, the Honduran people, but in reality, they gave something to us. I feel like I didn't give them anything. In fact, they just kept giving me tamales, you know, <laughs> um, which were really good. But, um, but, that, but that's the thing, because they get it. They get the, the people in Honduras that know Jesus, that's all they need. That's all they're worried about is knowing Jesus and getting other people to know about Jesus. And it's hard over there, the poverty, poverty over there, but these people are so filled with hope and joy and it's contagious and it was such a blessing to be around them. So these people who we look at and, and see as having nothing had everything. And I came back here changed because of them So I can take what they gave me and hopefully give that to other people. And we can do things like that. You know, we watched the video about those children in in Myanmar and Cambodia. That's something that we can do to make a difference and to give hope and to improve things. You know, that if, if we just give what we have, our time, talent, treasure, touch, that's how we improve things. And that will give you hope. I'm not saying that that's going to change the government, that's not going to change your neighbor, change the world, you know, that... Those, those people, you know, every, you're only responsible for yourself, you know. So, but I really think that if each of us today would go home and start living like that, we would have more hope and see an improvement. And whether Jesus comes back today or 30 years from now, we will still be filled with hope. Because we know that he is coming back and we know that we have him in us and that we are sharing him with the world.
0: Amen. Thank you very much. There can be an attitude of whenever I read this question, are we being left with no hope? the idea that there is no hope, that everything is bad. And I think you addressed that really well because when we look at our relationship with God, we know that not everything is bad. I mean, God's word tells us, and Paul wrote to the church in Corinth, that we can go from glory to glory when we're with God, from his supernatural nature to another supernatural nature. We look around, and there are blessings of God. There are miracles happening today. We look around, and he's still at work, and there's still amazing things. So when you go to Honduras, or you go somewhere else and you see the joy of the Lord in people, you go, wait a second, am I only focusing on the things that don't bring me joy? Should I start focusing on the things that that God is actively at work doing in my life that are bringing not only joy, but life to people around us? Matt, we're going to end this with How do I pray appropriately for tragic situations that occur in the world and within our circle of friends? So we've talked about some negative things. Let's put it into action. What do we do? How do we do that? How do we pray for those tragic situations?
3: We need to pray honestly. We have to remember that we serve a God who made us in His image. That means physically we're made in His image, but also He knows every single one of our emotions. He has experienced separation from us he knows what tragedy is. So we need to pray honestly. If we're mad, it's okay to let God know you're mad. If you're sad, it's okay to let God know you're sad. If you're confused, let God know. He knows all of those things. He, he, he can help you through that. And so if we're praying for other people, we need to remember that uh, oftentimes when we're going through something tragi- tragic, we figure we want to be by ourselves. Isolation is always the wrong answer. That's that's what the devil wants us to be isolated, because when we when we isolate ourselves from other people, we tend to isolate ourselves from God, or try to. So when we're praying, we pray that we pray against that isolation. We pray that whomever is going through tragedy. We pray that they would remember that they have a God that loves them, that they would turn to God first, but then they would turn to the community around them. Hebrews. Uh, chapter 10, verse 25, talks about remaining in community. And it's important for a lot of reasons, but especially in the middle of tragedy.
0: Amen. And when we pray, we pray with expectancy, knowing that our good God hears us and he can do more than we can think or imagine. Can we give a round of applause to our panel for fantastic answers rooted in the word of God that can transform lives? Can we pray right now collectively together for us, for the panel as well. Dear God, I thank you so much for the wisdom that you've given us today. I thank you for how you've moved in the life of all of our panelists. God, I pray that as we, as we go from this place that you will give us guidance, you'll give us direction from, from you and from, from your word while we face a word that some, world that sometimes it doesn't seem like there's hope. God, I pray that you remind us of the hope that we have in you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
4: The last two weeks, we have been hearing from different people on ways that we can face the struggles in this world by seeking Jesus and finding the answers in the Bible. We don't have all the answers, but God does. He knows your struggles. He already knows the outcome, and He will be right beside you, helping you go through whatever it is that you are facing. We can lay down our struggles at the feet of Jesus and give our lives over to Him. If you don't have Jesus as Lord and Savior in your life, which means owner of your life, it will make the struggles in your life so much harder to face. If you have never accepted Jesus as Lord and Savior, I'd like to give you that opportunity right now. It's as simple as A-B-C. A meaning I admit that I am a sinner and I need Jesus as my Savior. B believe. I believe in Jesus as Lord and Savior. C confess. I confess Jesus as Savior and Lord and commit to following Him in the power of the Holy Spirit. I'd like us to pray together right now and if you have never prayed this before, please pray it with me or pray something similar on your own. Dear God, I admit that I am a sinner and that I am in need of a Savior. I believe Jesus is your Son and that He came to this earth and died on the cross for my sins. And I confess that Jesus is my Lord and Savior and I commit to following him every day of my life. I thank you for sending Jesus here for me no matter what struggles I face. I know you love me and that you are fighting for me. Thank you for this gift. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.